Hello, this is Eric Boyce, CEO and Chief Investment Officer for BK Wealth Consulting, and welcome to Market Minute for November 1st of 2022. As we get started this week, a little bit of a midweek uh, update for you. Uh, obviously, we wanted to capture the October data. Uh, we had that month end uh, Monday, and then uh, here tomorrow on Wednesday, we've got the uh, Federal Reserve rate decision. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we want to talk about both sides of that, uh, obviously coming off of a fairly strong week overall, even though we were uh, a little bit tepid uh, uh, entering the new week as we were getting ready and preparing ourselves for that rate decision, which I think is pretty well telegraphed uh, that we're going to get three quarters of a percent or 75 basis points of uh, rate increase uh, from the Fed uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think what's going to be more important in the announcement tomorrow is going to be their, the rhetoric and, and the uh, press conference that comes after that and kind of the sentiment that comes out of these, uh, uh, you know, deliberations, you know, on the part of uh, the voting members of the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, which are a, a compilation of uh, Federal Reserve Board uh, district governors. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think the market wants to see what the tone is coming out of these deliberations and and how long and how fast and how vigorous are they going to, uh, or do they intend to raise these rates to help combat inflation, which has been fairly pesky. And, uh, you know, we do see evidence that uh, elements of inflation are coming down, uh, maybe not as fast as uh, some folks uh, want, uh, or, you know, certainly not as fast as some people would perhaps expect, given the pace of interest rate increases that we've seen, which, you know, all of this has contributed to one of the most difficult investing markets that we've seen since 2008. You know, equities have underperformed, uh, uh, you know, bonds have underperformed. Uh, in fact, you know, looking at it on a trailing one-year basis, the 10-year Treasury not only is on pace for its worst year ever, but it's also uh, the uh, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is actually uh, ha- has a lower return than the uh, S&P 500, uh, if you can imagine that. So very odd things going on. A lot of it's precipitated from this inflation fear uh, and the response to it by the Fed. Tomorrow will be another chapter in that story. Uh, right now, the uh, consensus is that uh, perhaps we get a 50 basis point increase at the next Fed uh, meeting after the 75 basis points that we all expect tomorrow. Uh, and then, uh, you know, at, at that point, uh, you know, the market can kind of begin to m- maybe look forward to a pause. But then uh, obviously you've got the policy effects of the of these mon- monetary policy decisions that will have to filter through the economy. And this always happens at a lag. And so, you know, I want to caution that we've got a lot of tightening already in the pipeline. And notwithstanding that, we also have a Fed balance sheet that is actually uh, uh, coming down at a fairly decent clip. So not only do we have rate increases, but we also have quantitative tightening, which is uh, the Federal Reserve actually, uh, you know, uh, lowering the size of its balance sheet uh, too, which uh, also helps to uh, raise interest rates or keep interest rates high uh, and chokes liquidity out of the economy. So they're they're essentially selling instruments in the open market and taking money out of the open market, which curbs the liquidity. Uh, but when you also, you know, essentially on a s- supply and demand, when you 
offer more for sale, you know, prices tend to come down and yields go up. So that's the mechanics of this. And we're actually in a bit of uncharted territory uh, here because it's we, we really haven't seen an environment where the, you, you have a Fed that's aggressively raising rates and doing uh, aggressive quantitative tightening all at the same time. So, you know, that, that adds to the volatility of the markets. But, um, you know, but having said that, uh, you know, the, the market clearly has some expectations right now as far as the uh, path of interest rate goes. And if we start to hear uh, Federal Reserve uh, rhetoric that seems to counter that, then you can bet that there's going to be more volatility out there in the market. Uh, meaning that if we hear Fed governors on the lecture circuit uh, begin to talk about continuing to be aggressive well into 2023, that would be a an adverse development relative to market expectations. But, um, you know, be that as it may, um, you know, at least we can enjoy the latest bear market rally. Uh, as I said, even though markets are a little bit softer the last couple of days, but, you know, uh, the Dow was up 14% last month. Uh, S&P was up over 8%. Uh, and, but like I said, we're in the throes of earnings season, so S&P 500 companies are beating estimates, uh, earnings estimates by about mm, almost 4% on average. But these estimates have been massaged down quite a bit. Uh, these are very lowered expectations. And uh, then if you back out uh, the energy sector, actually they look even weaker than that. Uh, and uh, so there's really not as much breadth in uh, earnings and earnings uh, uh, uh estimate beats, the, as you might think. Um, so, but, you know, the, the market last week is kind of like it, it, the kind of a microcosm of the last half of last month, really, as the market rallied, uh, despite the fact that uh, technology uh, really got pummeled. Um, and, you know, despite the belief that, the, you know, that this is a bear market rally, uh, we have inflation that remains high. Uh, P uh, PCE core inflation, uh, personal consumption expenditures core inflation was 5.1% year over year in the last data point. And then, um, and then, you know, just, you know, amidst all that, you know, kind of interesting dynamics in the equity markets, value has been outperforming. So, you know, the, the uh, uh, style and factor investing that we have been favoring lately, which has been strong, capital strength and dividend growth has actually uh, been the place to be, you know, and, um, and the, 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 the so-called FANG stocks have really outperformed and, you know, they still account the top, you know, five stocks in the S&P 500 index still have a pretty strong weighting and they're, they're still very influential. Uh, but when you back those out, not only has the equal weight, uh, S&P 500, uh, outperformed the capitalization weighted, but, uh, you know, also uh, these uh, non-technology sectors have actually done pretty well, uh, uh, ha have done pretty well, uh, just say that. So um, let's see, just looking at, uh, you know, the fixed income market, um, you know, we, we saw the 30-year fixed rate mortgage market uh, move up to over 7%. Uh, in fact, it was about 7.16% at its peak, which was a 10th straight increase. So Mortgage applications fell for the 10th time in 11 weeks. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting on the mortgage rate, just looking at housing affordability and all of those implications there, 
is that the spread between the 30-year fixed mortgage rate and the 10-year treasury rate onto which it is indexed right now is the highest that we've seen since the mid-1980s. Really, really interesting. What I'm trying to figure out right now is that, you know, when you have higher rates, uh, you tend on mortgage-backed securities, which in this environment are actually relatively good investments, uh, except for the fact that you've had such a, uh, you know, a dramatic rise in rates that uh, your refinancings are down to zero. And so your average maturities and therefore your duration or price risk for mortgage-backed securities has only uh, increased. And so, you know, beginning to question the viability of mortgages in this uh, particular environment. Um, but what's interesting on fixed income, and I mentioned earlier just the, just a terrible year that fixed income has had, uh, that nearly two-thirds of the 336 investment-grade bonds that were sold in September and October, again, these are recent issues, are already quoted lower than their original selling price. Uh, this is a Bloomberg article that was cited by Sandy Leeds in his notes last week. Um, and uh, let's see, of the 15, almost 1,600 investment-grade bonds uh, in an amount over $1.3 trillion that have been sold in the U.S. Uh, and uh, Europe uh, since last February, all but about 137 are now trading below their offering price. Uh, so this is an environment that, uh, honestly, we have not seen in this generation. Very, very, very odd environment. And the three-month T-bill uh, yield is now higher than the 10-year. Uh, this normally happens kind of late, later in the tightening cycle, certainly later than where we are right now. Um, you know, you got three-month uh, rates that tend to track what the Federal Reserve does on interest rates, and we know that's moving higher. A long-term borrowing costs, uh, you know, reflect expectations for growth and inflation. So, you know, i.e. your 10-year uh, uh, rate tends to uh, be influenced more by your longer-term expectations. Of, and we know right now that those are kind of falling over. If you look at the kind of the five-year, five-year forward uh, and the five-year forward rate five years from now, you know, it, it, it implies inflation back down to like 2.3, uh, you know, 2.5%, you know, very cl much closer to the, the Fed's long-term target. And so that's why you see these sticky long-term rates that are being eclipsed by short-term rates. And, uh, and uh, that, you know, for us is kind of a, a problem. Uh, and it's really indicative of an environment that is on the doorstep of, of some type of recession. And, you know, all of these signals that we see in terms of leading economic indicators, the, the shape, uh, the inversion of the yield curve, uh, and all of these kind of like, you know, uh, momentum indicators uh, are, are really kind of sh giving us that, that signal for uh, a, a recession. And the question is, when is it going to happen? A lot of folks are saying maybe beginning of uh, next, next year, we'll see some of that data slow down. Some people feel like it may be a little bit later on uh, next year. A lot of it has to do with the Fed's temperament and pace of interest rate increases. Uh, you know, again, we, we don't know that right now. And so I think the next six months are going to be very telling in terms of how this plays out. Um, but, you know, yeah, again, going back to the Fed, the Fed has, is going to have a lot to do with this. Um, you know, you know, there are arguments on both sides. So let me just kind of articulate 
a couple of points here. So, you know, there are reasons why the Fed could, you know, signal maybe a deceleration from like three quarters of a percent this meeting to 50 basis points or half of 1% in the next meeting. And reasons would be, you know, we've seen a clear slowdown in housing. Uh, we've seen a clear slowdown in manufacturing. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, we've got a, a strong fear of job losses within a recession. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've got a lot of pain that is being felt uh, because of the strong dollar. Uh, and we have decelerating earnings. Uh, you know, we know that uh, probably first quarter uh, estimates are still probably too high. But, you know, but we do see those, el those, uh, those estimates uh, decelerating. Uh, and, you know, so that, that could be a factor. That would be a reason why, listen, it's already slowing down. Publicly traded companies are telling you already in these conference calls that they expect uh, the environment to be uh, to be weaker. Uh, so you've got so softening earnings. Uh, you've got wealth destruction uh, that is uh, beginning to kind of chip at uh, you know, price excesses. Uh, and um, but uh, and then you've got you know looking across the globe too. Obviously, you know we've got a strong dollar because the our our central bank has been very aggressive. But you know the European Central Bank did uh, just hike again for se uh, three, 75 basis points, but they dropped a reference to uh, the rate increases continuing for, quote, several meetings. So they dropped that phrase, meaning that they're uh, not as aggressive in their tone as they have been. And so you look at, uh, you know, Bank of Canada announced a smaller than expected rate hike. Uh, Bank of Japan uh, kind of hung tight, so they really took no action. So uh, that, you know, though those are indications that, you know, that uh, other parts of the world are beginning to temper their enthusiasm for rate increases. And, yeah, you know, who knows how much influence that might have on the Fed. But um, and then, you know, then on the flip side, you've got the case to be made for continued rate increases. And you've got, um, you know, the fact that there is a lag in, in the policy effects uh, of monetary policy. I mean, it takes nine to 12 months for a lot of the tightening to kind of filter its way through uh, the system. And so um, so today, when you look at it on its face, uh, tightening hasn't really done that much to inflation, even though we see inflation beginning to come down. Uh, September median consumer price inflation was up 7% year over year versus 6.7 in August. Uh, and then you still have strong payrolls, uh, job openings to unemployed people, even though job openings have gone down. We still see that openings to unemployed ratio is 1.7. That's been pretty sticky. Core consumer, or excuse me, personal consumption expenditures are still up half a percent month over month. Employee cost index is still up 1.2% uh, quarter over quarter. Uh, Five-year break-even inflation rate is up a little bit. And so these are all reasons why you would expect to see uh, perhaps the Fed continuing to be uh, to be strong, but uh, you know, growth in general economy. We'll just kind of finish uh, on this because there's obviously a lot that we can uh, talk about. I just kind of hit some headlines here. Um, you know, we know third quarter GDP was up 2.6 percent. Uh, consumer spending was up 1.4 percent, which is a slower pace than second quarter. So. Um, 
you know, you've got you know, an, an interesting time with consumer prices still going up. Household spending is now under pressure. You know, you've got a housing market that, that's really turned pretty stone cold as of late, and then an inverted yield curve and low unemployment. So it's a very it's a confluence, a lot of weird things going on. Um, so let's see, S and P Global Flash Purchasing Managers Index fell for the fourth straight month. Um, and, um, you know, let's see, we talked about inflation, yeah, core PCE was up 5.1% year over year. We've mentioned that we mentioned the employment cost index was up 1.2% for the quarter, which is a little off uh, from the last reading university of Michigan, uh, survey of households, uh, expect prices to climb 5% in the coming year. Again, thank you, Sandy Leeds for all, the, all of this compilation. Interestingly enough, rent gains are finally slowing. We've got a chart in our Charts of the Week package that talks about rent gains, and, and it's very interesting. So household formation has actually now turned negative, where young people are staying with their parents for longer. And you see this case where you're, you know, instead of just having your own place, that you're kind of shacking up with multiple roommates. And so that's a dynamic that I think will continue to be uh, uh, be uh, be an issue because wages still aren't keeping up with rents. Uh, and uh, when you look at housing, uh, again, we talked about housing, uh, new home sales down 10%, almost 11% month over month. Um, and the Case-Shiller Index of Home Prices uh, in the 20 large cities in the U.S. fell 1.3%. Uh, that's an August number, so it's a little dated. Uh, but their prices are going down at a record pace, in, in fact. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, pending home sales actually were down the most since uh, uh, we saw in, since right after the pandemic and the shutdown. So a lot of interesting things going on in the market. Some, obviously, some things that are, you know, a little bit indicate a little bit more strength. Some, uh, some a lot of indicators clearly suggesting slowdowns. And I think, you know, when we see employment costs uh, come off of their peak, which they are, and you see rents beginning to slow a little bit, uh, and that those are the stickier parts of, uh, of inflation that if this is true and symptomatic of a trend, then in fact, we are, you know, in, the, in, in this rolling over period of, of inflation. Which, you know, ultimately, forget everything else I said, you know, when they see the inflation beginning to roll over, that, that's when you would expect the Fed to begin to talk about maybe slowing down the rate of increases. And, you know, uh, the next two data points on inflation are going, going to be exceptionally important, uh, I believe, uh, you know, for the pace of these rate increases by the Fed. Uh, so... We'll continue to watch earnings. Uh, very important. Obviously, tomorrow's a big, big, big day for not just the announcement of the Fed, but what they say afterwards in, in the release and Chairman Powell's remarks. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, we'll get uh, you know some data, you know, mostly for uh, September and October data points uh, coming up in the next few weeks uh, as we prepare for the holiday season. And we'll begin to analyze what that looks like. Uh, in terms of its impact on consumer spending, uh, retail uh, uh, retail sales, and, and the like. So stay tuned. Uh, we're on top of the markets, making the best of an uh, interesting and, and challenging situation. But uh, 
With that, we'll close the commentary today and hope you have a wonderful week and uh, take care. We'll talk to you again soon.